your host May Wu. It's today. on. Yeah, it's well, on. You play, All right, this is your host May Wu, and today's topic we're going to talk about code switching, being two-faced in the workplace. I have here with me Jawan Witterburn. How's it going, y'all? Pleasure to be on the podcast. Excited for you to be on my podcast, because, you know, I feel like you're fake as fuck. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, disrespectful as <laughs> I'm excited to have you on the show. That's how you treat your guests. That's crazy. Can you, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Juwan? Where are you from? What do you do? How old are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Juwan Winterburn, currently residing in Los Angeles, California, sunny LA. Um, originally from Portland, Oregon. Uh, where I grew up, went to high school with uh, Buddha Woo over here. <laughs> um, been in LA about three years now, working in marketing and advertising. And yeah, I'm 25 years old. 25. Damn, we are 25. Oh, almost 26. I was like, damn. I Your love. birthday is like two, two months, right? Yeah. I'm like, damn, I'm almost 26. Bruh. 26 is such a weird age. It doesn't even sound like nice. You on the other side of 25. Yeah, I'm like, damn. Now I'm now I'm upper 20s. But this is the thing about Upper 20s. But this is the thing about age, bro. You're truly like as young as you feel. So I'm like, oh, we're getting old, bro. That's, we got time. Right? Well, yeah. Like I'm working to like maintaining my youth like on the long yeah, run. Because like, people say your 30 is your prime. Like for me, like 30 sounds like a good age, like a cool age, like a great time, a different like, time in your life. But 26 doesn't sound like a different time in your life. It just sounds like you still trying to figure shit out. And <laughs> that's what the left. That's what your late 20s is about. Really, just figuring shit out, bro. And then when the time you're 30, that's when you have fucking like, that's when you have hella money. <laughs> you can do it to then move how you want. Okay, so. Let's first of all define what code switching is. So I have here written down and you can like add on and like definitely tell me it's wrong in general, but the act of altering how you express yourself based on your audience. I found this on an, like I found this definition on an article about sorry to bother you. And that was the definition they gave. And I was like, okay, how do you feel about that? Um, yeah, I feel like that's like a very simple answer. I feel like for me, code switching is, um, Whenever you're altering the way you behave or communicate, depending dependent upon your environment, mm-hmm. that environment can be a workplace, it can be colleagues, people that you're around, it could be a different environment, like uh, a different like country, different yeah, just any environment, right? Like whether that's location or people. Mm-hmm. Now, when do you usually code switch? Um, in the workplace, it's interesting because like code switching can often be talked about as a bad thing. And I have kind of mixed feelings about this, but I think it's also like a very um, useful tool to have in your arsenal. Because mm-hmm. um, I feel like a lot of most people can't move between two worlds, right? Um, I think one of my greatest assets is my ability to move between like the streets and like how I grew up and how I would communicate with my partners and my friends and whatnot, and how I'm able to like walk in a corporate world as well. You know what I mean? Like my white colleagues can't do that. They only know they only know how to communicate, move one type of way. Mm-hmm. You feel me? So it's like I know how to play in y'all world, I know how to play in my world too. So it's not like you, it's not like you a different person, but you just like it's really like meeting people where they are from a communication standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like if I know the way I would communicate, if the way that I would say something to my homie Keith, right? If I know that if I tell my group strategy director 
that how I would say the keys, he's not going to understand it. So in order to get this business and like to streamline this communication, I need to like meet him at a level in which he's gonna understand that message, right? Because mm-hmm. every like communication is everything in life. So code switching is just it's making it it's making you know what I mean it's just making it easier for people to communicate with one another. I think where code switching becomes problematic is when people are able to be themselves. No, I think when code switching becomes problematic is when it becomes something that you're not voluntarily doing. Mm-hmm. to like advance situation or to move yourself forward it becomes something that's being done upon you like when I move into this work environment I cannot be Juan I am forced to behave right communicate in another voice and my voice is being silenced that's so you know what I mean it's so there's like a choice in there like yeah. you can choose if you want to code switch or not you don't yeah. want an environment that is like yeah. a forced code switch because like a forced code switch in a work environment that's very toxic it's unhealthy i went through it when i'm at several points you know what i mean mm-hmm. so like that's toxic but then there's also this the strength aspect of it right of like knowing how to move between those different worlds right mm-hmm. um but i mean honestly like code switching is just it's, it's truly a part of life right like let's take it out of the work environment you're not going to say something the same way you say to your friends that you do to your mama you feel mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Right. So, like, the way you communicate with your parents who are, like, um, first generation from China, you communicate with them differently than you communicate to me. That's technically code switching, right? Because you're altering your communication based on who you're communicating with. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's not bad. You're just tailoring your message and who you communicate with, right? You're going to have a certain level of respect and things for different people. So, like, that makes sense. It's the point in which, like, when May's voice is stripped away and, like, because it's like this. You can communicate like, I can say something different to 10 different people, but Juwan is still at the core of it, and you know it's coming from Juan. Mm-hmm. The moment when, like, my voice is, like, silenced, you know what I mean? And, like, I'm just, like, you can't see, there, you can't feel that water in it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's where it becomes a problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I guess, like, let's say, because, like, I've heard from multiple different people, and, like, my, myself included, where, like, you're at a workspace, right, and you kind of feel like you can't be like the real, real you because you feel like these people may not really understand that and will take it and alter it because they don't really understand it or try to figure you out and try to like categorize you because they don't understand like this behavior or like how you're acting. And do you mean the real you in the sense of like your interest, how you communicate, like what? A combination, like your interests, what you really enjoy, like listening and watching and doing and what you really like like you said, the way you communicate, maybe it's talking in a different tone or doing whatever it is, but like, maybe it's like using slang or not using slang. Maybe it's that you're interested, like you really enjoy like going out and being ratchet. You really enjoy getting like hella drunk and fucked up and like, I don't know, whatever it is you enjoy, like maybe it's like rock climbing, but that's more acceptable because more people rock climb and that's seen in public, but I'm talking about like- And that's the, that's the tough part, right? Because we almost do, because we've been taught to walk in a white world since we were born. Mm-hmm. Like that's all we've known is like how to move and like and adapt to them. They have never been forced to adapt to us. Mm-hmm. They pick and take parts of our culture, um, whether it's cuisine, music, fashion, and then they'll take it and appropriate it. But they've never been forced to like live in and embrace pop culture, Chinese culture, or black culture. It's just, it's not a thing, right? So whenever we're truly ourselves, a lot of it is going to be alarmist and it's going to be different. Right. But I think our comfortability with being ourselves, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it in the workplace in particular has a lot to do with our confidence and well, our confidence in ourselves and our confidence in our capabilities, right? Because if I know I'm the best strategist in the office, right, at my respective level, I don't give a fuck what you guys think. 
at all because I know you're not letting me go. And I know like, while you may not understand me, it's like mm -hmm. my unique difference and my understanding of culture is what makes me far more valuable than the rest of the strategists in the building. So I'm not here to, I'm not here to play, I'm not here to politics with y'all. You feel me? It's like, yeah. but it's like now, and again, it took me a while to get that confidence, right? When I was more junior level, right? I was co like coaching on a severe level because I had imposter syndrome. I didn't feel like I was that truly, um, I didn't, I didn't think I deserved to be there. I thought that I was there because I was a black hire and whatnot. I was like, keep my, keep my nose down, like just working, right? And I, yeah. and I tried to write like my, my boss was a white woman, hella, hella pale, hella square, just. Oh, there wasn't as much of a choice there. You feel like you didn't really have a choice in that sense. Like that's when code switching wasn't exactly a choice. It was just kind of maybe like survival or, yeah, um, yeah it was like survival. Mm -hmm. And so what made you go from code switching, not necessarily as a choice, but survival from code to code switching as a choice. Confidence, confidence in your abilities, right? Cause it's that imposter syndrome. Like when you're work, like in any environment, right? When you're fear fearful of your standing in that space, it's just, it's primal, right? Like you're going to be, un you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to do anything to make sure you stay in that space. One of those things is code switching, right? Mm -hmm. Cause I don't want to be like caught out and get removed from the, like get, and get found out and get kicked out, right? But it's like the moment you're kind of like that you know no gas right the moment you know you just shit and like you know that they need you more than you need them okay now you got some leverage and power now it's like okay i'm gonna move i'm gonna move how i need to move you know, of course to an extent i'm not gonna be here being here all ignorant but like but what helped build me. that confidence besides like you just figuring that out yourself like what helps build that confidence um, i think it's a mix of things right i think one is having advocates um having oh for me right it was having other people, more senior people in the office who are people of color as well. Like my boy Saeed, he's uh, Middle Eastern. He was like a senior strategist. He like took me under his wing. And I remember I would tell him like, man, dude, like, I don't really know, man. It's so weird. Like everything that I write, like my boss, she rewrites it all the time. And mm. I just, I think maybe I'm like a shitty writer, dude, but man, this is tough. And he's like, nah, bro. Like I worked with her too, man. She's a horrible writer. Like, bro, you, she's the same thing to me, but she has a reputation office, bro. You good. No, no, no. But it just took him, like, it took new people and older people, like instilling that confidence in me mm -hmm. and helping me like. Like stamping be, your yeah, skills. Stamping my approval. And it's like, I deserve to be here. I'm good. Right. And it's like seeing that. And then of course you start to execute and mm -hmm. you're recognized and whatnot. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so like mentors in your field who are like seniors, like, yeah, senior, like just having having advocates, having people in your corner who like validate that sh that you're worthy, right? That yeah. you're good. I mean, you know, you know. And for me, right, the more and more advocates that I have on a high level, it's like, okay, I really know that I'm not about to go nowhere. You know. Right. Okay. But then there's also this level, right, of like, not everybody deserves a full you, right? Right. Yeah. Not everybody deserves a real maybe. Not everybody deserves a full you. It's like, yeah, y'all gonna get, yeah, we. I'm gonna come in here. We gonna handle this. We gonna handle this work shit. We gonna talk about like we gonna talk about it. I'm gonna like I'm gonna give y'all my piece. Of course, like I'm gonna come to y'all as Juwan, but bro, I'm not gonna be fully let my hair down in front of y'all. Y'all don't deserve that. You know what I mean? And like to your point earlier, you might abuse it. You know what I mean? But does whether you, you at the level that I'm at now, like whether you abuse it or not, does that affect me? No. Yeah. I'm, but when you're a junior or yeah, when you're, you're junior, younger, really like maybe you. not even a junior, you're still in college or you're yeah. just trying to figure things or out. Or intern, that shit is real. Yeah. Like, but I mean, for people who are a bit more senior, I think it's just, it, it becomes less, put a good full circle, right? Like the older you get in your career, the more confidence you get is when it makes the transition from you being forced to closer to do an environment to it becoming a choice that you leverage at your uh, weapon you use at your uh, disposal. Mm-hmm.
Does that make sense? That makes sense. So like, I guess, when did you realize that you started to even code switch? Just in general. In life? Yeah. When did you realize that? Maybe you've been code switching all your life. Cause you know, I mean, we all have been. When is the moment that I realized I code switch? Damn, that's a real question, bruh. Um, <laughs> oh, I think the first time when I was a JIT, when I was like, when I was like 11 or something like that, or 12, probably like, nah, like 13. I think I was 13, I was in Miami. So background, all my family is like, I have like, I'm from Portland, but it's just like my immediate family there. Most of my family is in like Miami and Jamaica. So I was visiting some of my partners, some of my like family and partners in Miami, right? And if you've ever been to the South, you know, the people there have a very uh, thick accent, right? They like country, right? Mm -hmm. And like, I had been there in a minute. So I went down there and like, I had like a pretty like, let's say like high vocabulary, mm -hmm. right? And I would go down there and I would- And when was this again? When I was 13. Okay. And I went down there and I would like communicate with them, right? But it's like, they just would not understand what I'm saying. Like at all, because it's just, they just, the, this, yeah, the different, different accents, different ways, right? Like, so I had to like, like, so like dumb down the way I was like, I just like drastically simplify my vernacular and like how I was communicating with them to like, so we could communicate on the same level. Mm -hmm. And that was like, for me, it was like, such was like, oh shit, I can't. That was the first time that the, the light bulb hit and I was like, oh fuck, you can't communicate the same way to like everyone. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like you, there are going to be instances in which you need to, because before that, I don't think I had ever code switched before. Okay. That was the first time I had ever code switched. Um, and then afterwards, you were just like realizing it maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you like let people know that you've code switched? Like let's say people who are in your workspace that you like, y'all don't really know the real me. Not like that, but like in a way. I let an entire diversity initiative around that. They're like actually working on the project now. Um, so how did you, were you just saying, like, how did you start that? So basically, um, 72 last year, spring of 2018, they held this implicit bias training. Mm -hmm. So after the implicit bias training, of course, all the white people in the office were feeling very vulnerable, wanted to kind of make something and um, let the whole office know that they appreciate diversity. So then they were like, Juwan, because I, I like lead and help with a lot of the diversity initiatives when I was there. Mm -hmm. So they were like, Juan, like, what can we do, yada, yada, yada. I was like, you know what? Diversity is like a big topic to unpack. I was like, I was like, honestly, like you guys just making something, you're creating a film or whatever, is not gonna like actually change stuff. You need to actually yeah. like implement programs, right? Right. Um, and change it from an institutional level. Something that's continuous. Yeah. So then basically I like spent some, some like couple weeks doing some research and I landed on this insight that like inspired a project. And the basic insight was that people of color feel as if they need to move between two worlds. Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Yeah. The world in which, like, back home or wherever, maybe in Inglewood, where I can fully be myself, let my hair down, like, communicate how I would like to and, like, in my natural ma um, manner. Mm -hmm. And then when I walk through these 70 to sunny doors every day, I move to an entirely different world. Yeah. So I blew out this entire brief with the research and kind of, like, walked through examples of, like, what that shift looks like. Yeah. Uh, kind of, like, really opened up a lot of senior leadership's eyes and whatnot to the problem and the issue, right? Yeah. I mean, I think as, as a funny joke, right? And it's like one of the shifts was it's even as simple as like going from like giving a natural, just adapt to somebody or like a handshake to an awkward ass, oh shit. You know what I mean? Like maybe a shake or a hug yeah. or something. So it's like basically going from a natural, like a natural handshake, uh -huh. a natural handshake to an awkward fist, fist bump 
fist bump um, and, and engagement. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, it's just weird stuff like that. Or being in a community where everyone around you supports you and like you're on top of the world to like knowing your voice not being valued and like no one really caring or even checking for you, right? It's just, there are so many like little shifts that I kind of highlighted to like kind of explain code switching far beyond the way you communicate. But it's like the reality of the world you're moving between, right? Yeah, I mean, code switching isn't just the way you speak, but like how you act, your demeanor, um, your typical actions. Like that's just it all changes, and maybe it all changes for some. It just depends. You show you do more of what you usually would in a setting that you're comfortable with with your people. Yeah, yeah, that's real. So now, basically, like after that, they like work on this like creative project they're trying to like blow out now. Um, but I, unfortunately, I left before the project was the event started. But mm-hmm. cool. so you didn't get to like see it all the way through. Uh, I mean, it's a bit like the project, and they're just like working on the logistics of like starting the event and whatnot. So, what would you like recommend to somebody who's like who's like you said, an intern somewhere, like new at a fresh place at a different, a new environment? So this is my thing, right? About like being your whole self and bring your whole self everywhere. I don't think in any work environment you should be 100% yourself. Fuck no, bruh. You're not gonna be talking about doing fucking blow, smoking, like, you know what I mean? Like, all that, like, some shit just needs to just, not that I do none of those things, I'm just giving you an extreme <laughs> example, but it's like, some things, like, like just need to be left at home, right? Your work environment is still your work environment. You need to be professional. Mm-hmm. Now, what I would recommend is from like who you are as a person, like your identity, your culture, you should never leave that behind. Yeah. Ever, 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 ever. Like, should you be in all this cussing and everything? No, bro, but you still communicate how you communicate. Just leave, like, put it like this. Leave the things that aren't appropriate in a work environment at home. Things that your mama will slap you upside your fucking head for doing in a work environment, leave that shit at home. Everything else, be yourself. You feel me? Like, you are, like, You've gotten where you are today because of yourself, right? You know what I mean? Like, so be yourself and leverage that, bro. Like, especially for people of color, right? Like, we, bro, we've been taught our whole lives not to to try to fit into white culture, to try to like fit into them, and that we 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 we're not valuable. We can't do this. We have to work twice as hard, bro. We're ten times more talented, bro. We live this culture. The shit that they trying to learn about you, they trying to do. But they do this shit. Like, maybe you a perfect ass example, bro. And I was trying when I was telling you about the social media shit. I'm like, bro, you really do this shit, bro. You run fucking circles around any fucking social media person in the market agency because all they're doing is they just know this shit from books, bro. You live this shit. You feel what I'm saying? So, like, bro, have confidence in whatever the fuck you're doing and just be it, bro. Be yourself. Like, that's, that's real. And, like, honestly, and to another point, it's like, know how to, like, like learn how to weaponize code switching, right? Like, use, of course, be yourself, have your identity at the core of everything you're doing, but learn how to weaponize that shit, right? Like, the read 48 laws of power, like, it's in there. Code switching is <laughs> one of the laws. I forget which one it is, but, like, learn to weaponize the shit, right? When I'm in rooms with clients, when I'm in rooms with clients, like, my Uber clients or Adidas clients, like, yeah, I'm still one, but it's like, bruh, we- weaponize that. Like, learn how to move in certain rooms. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So, like, I hear... And I'm like, that's really like such a great way of putting it a different, such a great perspective too, because I hear things like, um, you know, I, I don't want to not be me or like, oh, fuck that because I'm going to be the real me. Like I'm not okay with this. So I'm just going to like tell them what it is. And I don't, this is not me. So I have to 
So I have to show them, like, I don't want to lose myself, basically. Right. So, like, how do you go from, like, not letting people fuck with you? Because, like, let's say in your, with your people and in your area and, like, you don't let people do this to you. So why in the workplace are you letting someone do this to you? And so you kind of feel like you're losing yourself. Yeah. So how do you tell yourself, like, you, because, like, you at mean, that like, point. You mean, like, fuck shit, right? Like, yeah, like, if people throw, to... like, some shade at you and do some fuck shit to you, how do you not lose yourself when that happens to you. Man, it's tough. One of my credit directors, he, he, he almost had me come in my chair one time. That was like, oh, the one time I like dead ass, like almost lost my shit in the office. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> but like, what was I gonna say? It's tough, right? Um, but honestly, it's just like anything in life, bro. It's just like, it's just setting your boundaries with people, right? It's just like, bro, I'm not the one. Like, now, Okay. How do you do that professionally without giving them like, whoa, you're acting like real aggressive here. You're acting real crazy. Um, and then not kind of. Man, see, that's tough. Cause like people, it just depends on the person, right? Cause if you have like a real conversation with someone, right? Like, Hey, like for example, right? let's say someone's like micromanaging me, right? Mm -hmm. Like you always check from you always doing this. Yeah. Or like someone that like always forgets to add me on meeting advice. I'm like, yo, like we have a business that we're trying to run. Mm -hmm. Like there's money on the line. The way that things are running right now is inefficient mm -hmm. for the both of us. This is not working out right now. Yeah. So these are my recommendations in order to change that. Are you open to that? And it's like, depending on like how they react, you're going to know. Because you're either going to have a dick who's going to be like, oh, and take it like personal. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that shit was never going to work to begin with. Right. Or you have someone who's like, oh, thank you for pointing out. I didn't even realize that. Right. Um, but it really depends on the person. Because some people, just they just want to be fucking assholes. Because I was thinking most of the time the reaction, I mean, not most of the time, but that you will get reactions, I feel like, that are going to yeah. be like, no, it's because you didn't try this or we didn't end up doing that. So next time we need to do this. No, but that's definitely like whenever there's like a, a, a um, conflict, that's definitely a time in which you got to like weaponize codes with you. Like, bruh, the way I'm going to check a motherfucker outside the office, I'm not going to check someone inside the office. Like, yeah, you just that's how you lose your job. Like the angry black man, <laughs> the angry black man. Like, you feel me? That's that's an example, guys, of weaponizing codes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Try your best. <laughs> That's when it becomes a weapon. I mean, yeah. that will, when it hurts you. Try your best to check their ass because your job is, is online. Um, but how do you check? Like, that's what I'm saying. How do you check someone without making them feel so disrespected that they kind of have to be like, oh, you know, I can't, I can't give this person this responsibility because they're going to, they might act weird or I can't be honest with them is because they might start acting in a way that is not appropriate in the office. Bro, or in the space because that's what I like I hear yeah. when people are like I can't work in this corporate setting I can't work in these um, big companies like and they can't move up because they feel like people are testing them all the time yeah honestly like I haven't had that many people try me mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying like people are being tried all the time but I'm just saying I think it happens it does it's um it's unfortunate. I know this is where his like manager like literally like would bully him and like kind of like verbally abuse him and like try to get him to like attack like kind of spaz on him because he was mm -hmm. like, he, like aggregate yeah, aggravate yeah. him. He basically like he the black man like said something to HR and let him know like hey my manager I think it's a racial thing he's like really trying to get me to like attack him and they fired him. They fired a black dude. Oh my god. Speaking up for himself. Yeah. Damn. It's fucked up. 
Because, I mean, the dude above him was, like, very senior, so. Yeah. It's just tough. I don't, it's, I mean, that's one of the. And that's the whole thing you're supposed to do. Like, well, that's what they say yeah. in companies and places and workplaces, schools, any kind of institution. They're like, honestly, oh, like, see something, say something. If it's, if it's that toxic relationship, if it's that bad, I think that's something in which you need to, like, like, again, learn to weaponize your relationships. Like, talk to your supervisor. Get their feedback. Maybe go through someone else to have that conversation, right? Especially if you're more junior. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I mean, HR, I think, is pretty useless to be G with you. Um, it's like probably, yeah, I agree, it's probably one of the most worst, worthless departments yeah, I really uh, think so too. that I've seen ever in my life. It's um, just the way that they're ran. Not the people yeah. who are in it. No, it's, just like, it's just how it's ran. It's like, where, if I was to remove anything from like, <laughs> like, overhead, is HR. If I ever start a company, we're not having HR. Like, I feel like HR just tries to like sell you why you should stay in the company and like try to keep, try to kind of keep things under the rug. That's what HR is for, like keep the peace in the office so you don't have things. Shit, like the that. company I'm at now, we joking about not having HR. We just <laughs> what? We having HR for a minute. <laughs> uh, but nah, man, like weaponize your relationships, lean into your supervisors, and honestly, if it's that toxic, bro, move to a different team or start working. Maybe you and that person just figure out a way to to dead that. You know? So is that just kind of like the reality of like some situations? Yeah. Like, Depending on if it's like very, very toxic. Yeah. Because then it is a form of oppression. But yeah. I mean, people don't even always know what code switching is or even realize at even at whatever point in their life, yeah. maybe they didn't realize it when they were 13. Maybe they realized it at like 18 when they went off to college and they're with people that they've never had experiences with. Oh, I definitely didn't have the language at 13 to say, oh, I'm code switching. No, I just like, that was the first time looking back, I remember that I had to change the way in which I communicated with people depending mm-hmm. on my environment. So when did you like, were able to weaponize code switching, like you said? When did that click when you were like, okay, I can weaponize this and not feel like I'm navigating survival techniques? Uh-huh. Because some people... Like, what, this is the thing. Whenever you're not being forced to code switch, you, it's being used to your advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you, weren't be, if, you were not, if you did not code switch, it would be much harder to communicate that message, right? And, that, and things would get lost in translation. Yeah. So, when, did, when was the first time that I was... I mean, that's true because I was... I went to a, a conference a couple of weeks ago about, like, diversity in tech. Mm-hmm. And... I was like, oh, okay, like, I would like to bring more diversity and, like, just have the discussions in our office because we're not doing that and we're not doing it very well, but we want to. I can see that it's there, the interest is there, the, um, like, it's in the vision, but how to execute it is is a little diluted. It's kind of like, um, you know, we're just going to say we're very inclusive and we're going to treat people the way we want to be treated kind of thing. And, um, so I was talking to the guy and I was like, how do I, how do I bring this back? Like, how do I let them know that it's not really, that they're not doing anything right now. Like nothing's happening. And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't want to like come, come in there. And the first conversation you have with them is going, Hey, I went to a diversity thing and I'm a person of color and I think that we need to do better and that you guys, even though you guys are trying, not doing so well. No one wants to hear that. And I was like, okay, that is so valid. No one wants to be like, uh, you're trying, but it sucks. Like when you hear that, you kind of shut down just like with anything. You just shut down a little, you're defensive. And he was like, they're going to be more defensive and then kind of not hear what you have to say. 
And so I was, I, that really changed my mind about like how you present something mm-hmm. and you kind of have to take steps to present something yeah. and you kind of have to, like you said, plant a seed earlier. We we're talking about something and planting a seed, whether that be, um, having a diversity initiative at your job or something you want as a personal want in your life. So I was like, okay, so you have to plant the seed and they either take it or not. So would you say code switching is kind of like planting seeds sometimes? Yeah, when plan- it's, when it's, it's planting seeds in your to field. get people to understand. Or in your right? court, I mean. Yeah, like communication is one of the most valuable tools that we have as people, mm-hmm. like period. And tran- getting a message from yourself from one point to another is like, that. that is our life, right? So sometimes you're gonna to need to alter the, that message in order to make sure that it's received, right? Mm-hmm. The same message is not going to be received the same to everyone. It's, that's yeah. why, if you think like, take the cultural context out, it's like, bread. It's, it's simple, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's I mean, logic. coming from even my teaching background, I'm like, you can't teach somebody, uh, you can't teach someone algebra if mm-hmm. they don't know all the steps in between that. So you kind of have to chunk it. You have to take it right. in increments yeah. because they don't get that yet. They're not there yet. So I would say like code switching is really having, like you said, the power and the ability to see so many different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it can can definitely be to your detriment if you're being forced. Mm -hmm. But it can also be like a a value asset when you learn to weaponize it. Right. Um, I'm still like thinking about like, your question around when did I realize I could weaponize <laughs> I could tell it's been like something you like because when I asked I, you that you're like damn when did I I mean honestly like I don't know if y'all ever read like 48 Laws of Power but um, a lot of people when they first pick up the book right they think it's like quite savage like oh my god I've never liked this I would never do any of these things oh my god oh my god <laughs> but like the author like calls out um, in, the, uh, in the intro that the people who read this book or skim through it at first and immediately say, I will never do that, that's so evil, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Those people are actually the best at the laws because you've gotten so good at manipulation. You've manipulated yourself into thinking that you're this good person when in reality, you do a lot of fucked up shit or you're like quite aware of these like laws on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like damn, fuck. <laughs> My book, but it's real though because mm-hmm. when you start to read it, right, from a surface level, right, um, like there's one law, right, like this is from a surface level, you can be like, yeah, I would never do that, but here's one law, right, a lot of people like trip up on, maybe like one of them is keep your keep your enemies in a constant state of fear, mm-hmm. right? Of course, I don't do that. I'm not putting guns at people and threatening my fuckers, yeah. but take a step back. What is that really saying? Never let anyone know your next move, right? Always keep people on their toes. Mm-hmm. Always keep motherfuckers on their toes, right? Motherfuckers should not be knowing how one or how May is moving. Like, that, that's keeping someone in a constant fear because, like, they don't Your know enemies. Not, yeah. like, people in general, but... Are you but saying people like, in general or are you just your enemies? Which one are you? It's like, I mean, motherfuckers... For one, I don't have enemies where it's not, like... Yeah. I think that law in general is talking more about, like, just not being predictable, right? Keep mm, people on your phone because, okay. like, then motherfuckers cannot play. Niggas can't checkmate you, you feel me? Because, like, they don't yeah. know how you going to move. Can't predict you, you feel me? So One of my ideas was to break down each law 
in the 48 Laws of Power. I saw him read, yeah, I was like that. You're reading it right now, right? Yeah, but I've only gone to like, I think I'm on like the fifth law or something like it's that. It's one of those books that you don't have to read in order, which is nice. So you read yeah. the intro, you know what I'm talking about then when you said that. Yeah. What, how, what was your interpret? What did you feel when he, you read that part? I was like, that is very interesting, you know, and it kind of makes sense because I think of really religious people who are like, just people just because they're following something they're like what's the word they like or they're like oh i know i wouldn't do that like you know i live by these rules in my head there's no way i'm like sitting i'm following the rules of whatever but like in reality like we all make mistakes and we all sin but it's like they're kind of blinded by themselves and they're kind of like holiness and i'm talking about like all like any religion someone who's just falling to the t and just like getting really wrapped up in that they can't see like a different perspective and it's, just, it's so eye-opening right just thinking about how you see yourself versus how you actually act you know mm -hmm. what i mean because i'm sure if you went through and checked like what laws you you've done it might be like three mm -hmm. you would ask a close friend or a colleague of yours they might just by observing your behavior, you've done six or seven. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? Because just as much as the book is like, I don't think it's how to study manipulation. I don't think it's about weaponizing manipulation for yourself. I think it's just equally as, as much about understanding the laws and how people move. Because after I started reading the book, right, in the workplace, nigga, I saw about 15, 16, bruh, examples. I was, what the fuck about how people are moving against you? So it's almost, mm -hmm. it's just as much for defensive purposes as it is offensive. Yeah. When I was real, I was like, damn. They was doing me like, damn. I didn't have the vocabulary, but I was like, damn. Like, that, <laughs> that's crazy. It was like, you, they were like, throwing these laws at you. Right. Like, <laughs> yes. I made a fool out of me. I was puzzled. Oh my Good God. Good knowledge to have, like something in your playbook, something in your toolkit that you can be like, I see you're coming at me with this. This is how I might have to be able to handle it. Yeah. Or I, you just recognizing that someone is using this it's law. A playbook. It's a playbook. You're not about to use every play. But it's like now, yeah. once you know, the, that's the playbook, period. Now you know what the other team is playing with. Okay, now I know how to like play defense against that. Yeah. You know? I don't know if, we, if everyone knows what 48 Laws of Power is. It's maybe you can better explain. Like, you, you can explain it. Right yeah, so I mean, it's a book about manipulation. Yeah, manipulation. Like, how do you gain power, and how? Yeah, how can you manipulate people, and what are the forty-eight laws to do that? Basically, a like a way to win. Basically, mm -hmm. it's like how do you win? To me, it's like how do you win the game, and like the life, the game is life. And it's crazy because, like, culturally, right? Um, I think a lot of people of color don't grow up explicitly learning a lot of those mm -hmm. there are some laws in there a few of them in which like it's just like a general game that you pick up as you get older but like we're thinking about like the donald trump's of the world you know what i mean the elon musk's like the tom brady's these affluent white people like they literally this was they bible growing up mm -hmm. they like, embody not, these laws no but it's like not literally it's not that they 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 actually ever read this book but it's like their parents these are all practices of like Western mm -hmm. Europe, European, like, like, right. That's literally how they've got, like, how they've got to the top of the world. It's a manipulation, bro. So just think about it, like. Well, I mean, who wrote the book? Yeah, bro. Like, you feel me? So it's like they like these are laws that this is how like a lot of motherfuckers get, get so much money because like they that's how they move, how they live, right? Mm -hmm. Like people of color, oftentimes this that type of shit is gonna be more alarming to us. It's like, what? I would never do this. Where in reality, these white people they grew up on that shit. 
Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode. Stay tuned for next week's episode. And all information is in the show notes, the people that were on the podcast today. And if you have questions, comments, anything like that, hit me on my Twitter or Instagram at that girl may woo. Stay blessed.